Just remember this. 40 men together can't lose. Okay. Yes, the immortal words of George Allen leading us off in the D.C. Sports Huddle this week. I am Rob Woodfork alongside, as usual, George Wallace. We have Dave Preston and a special guest, Washington-based author of the soon-coming book, George Allen, A Football Life. His name is Mike Richmond. Thank you so much for joining us. Very happy to be here. Thank you very much to all of you for inviting me. Oh, this is man. fun. This is yeah. special. This is this good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We like so, to read so, in so the summer. Have, we <laughs> like to read. So you're not going to have a problem when I say this was a fun episode this time? No, I will not. Right. This, one, right. this one you'll actually mean it. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, you know. Usually it's lip service. Yeah. Um, we're going to get to uh, Washington in a little bit, but we wanted to talk a little bit about the book. Um, because let's be real here. A lot of people are not old enough to remember the George Allen years. I'm middle-aged and I don't remember them. So, you know, there's a there's younger fans who don't understand that before Joe Gibbs, you know, yeah. George Allen George was the Allen. guy. I mean, really, he's the guy who made it popular for coaches to put in 16-hour days and do, like, ridiculous stuff. And, right, you know, right, a lot right. of what we see today, uh, George Allen was at the front of it. And at a time when we celebrate Mike Tomlin for – 16 straight non-losing seasons in Pittsburgh, and he should be praised for that. Allen went his entire pro career without a losing season. That is correct. uh, Spanning 14 years if you include the USFL. So um, I guess just talk about some of the uh, interesting facts that you uncovered in uh, putting together this book. Well, you touched on a few of them right there. I mean, he went through 12 (laughs) seasons in the NFL without a losing season. I mean, that's phenomenal in itself. That's remarkable. Right, and then you add the two years in the USFL, one of which he took the Arizona Wranglers to the league championship game. Unfortunately, he lost that. But uh, And then uh, overall, 24 years of coaching, including his college career, uh, 21 winning seasons. I mean, the guy was just, he was addicted to winning, basically. (laughs) Another thing that really makes him special, I mean, he was an innovator in the NFL. I mean, he introduced blitz packages that hadn't been seen before. I should start with the fact that he was the defensive coordinator of the great Bears defense, the Bears team that won the 63 NFL championship, and that defense has been compared often to the 85 Bears mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. won that that NFL championship. That was just a, a really uh, great defense. I think they allowed uh, like a, a record at the time for a 14-game season, 144 points, which, which stood for a long time in a single season. So he was he blitz packages, uh, the nickel-dime packages for, for uh, defensive coverage, pass coverage. He introduced all of that. And as you touched on before, Rob, I mean, he was a, a workaholic too. Now, I will say this. He wasn't the first 24-7 NFL coach. I mean, there were coaches that preceded him, such as some of his mentors. I mean, Sid Gilman was one of them, who he coached under in, in 1957 when Allen was an assistant with the L.A. Rams. Gilman was the head coach. And George Hallis, who was his his primary mentor when, when Allen was the assistant for the Bears, Hallis being the head coach. Hallis was a, a workaholic as well. And that, so. the, the Hallis, just kind of going through a little bit of, of the, the book, I had didn't re- realize, or if I did, I didn't remember the Hallis story where he was going to go to the Rams, ask for permission to go, and then Hallis kind of said, yes, you can talk to him, but then kind of took it back, and it was a, he thought he was going to get, you know, a warm and fuzzy feeling from his mentor to be, go take a head coaching job, but I guess that wasn't the case. No, there was right? a, wasn't there a lawsuit? There was, yes. Hallis, <laughs> Hallis took him to court about yeah, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a surreal incident in the life of George Allen. I mean, I, I don't want to say this was unprecedented, but I 
don't remember reading about it anywhere else where the head coach took his, one of his assistants to court or <laughs> or challenged him legally in some way because the assistant wanted to go elsewhere. I mean, uh, but I mean, it was just a surreal event in, in Allen's life. And and the fact Alice won the case, by the way. Yeah, they, they how the judge decided there was a breach of contract that uh, I forgot the exact wording in the contract, but it's something where Allen had retained critical information about the Bears mm -hmm. that could not be disclosed to any other team in the NFL. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And so the judge the judge found for Hallis, but then as the then uh, I think Hallis's lawyer was saying something at one point and Hallis said uh, he walked up to the judge and said case over, you know. <laughs> um, George Allen can go where he wants to go and yeah. Allen uh, became the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. But if if Hallis hadn't done that, Allen would have had to stay with the Chicago Bears. I mean, yeah. it was just I, I, Hallis, Hallis was trying to prove a point. Sure, yeah. he was trying to. The key was loyalty. Yeah, that's what he was trying to say. And um, but you know, you gotta you gotta let these assistant coaches and like he said advance in, in the league. And like he said in the letter that that you have there that you know I you've done so much for me. But if this this is an opportunity that I can't pass up, which is what you'd like. You you hate going to your head coach and your mentor to do that. But also, if you're that person, yes, you don't want to lose him, but you want to be able to see him take that next step. Oh, absolutely. And be the head coach. Absolutely. Well, George Allen, in the eyes of many players, was seen as the next head coach of the Chicago Bears. Uh, but Hallis just wouldn't relinquish his duties <laughs> as a head away. coach. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. he, Hallis he, had like four tenure tenures, basically. <laughs> like, no, he'd, he'd coach for 10 years and then he'd join the Navy during World War II. He'd right. coach 10 more years, take a couple years off, <laughs> yeah. coach 10 more years. And uh, he kept on, you know, it was unfair to have George Allen continue to hang the last couple of years. But you mentioned how Hallis kind of blocked or tried to block Allen from taking the Rams job. When you think, I think one of the things that we don't realize when we look at those Washington teams of the 70s, how many George Allen assistants went on to become head coaches. Marv Levy, uh, Dick Vermeil was an Allen assistant. Ted right. Marchabroda went over to Baltimore and uh, Indianapolis. So right. uh, Mike it, McCormick. As much as he was held back by Hallis, he fostered and really enabled guys to get jobs elsewhere. Yes, oh, absolutely. I mean, what Hallis did, I mean, he was just... He was being prickly, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. in, yeah. Ed Obradovich, who I, I interviewed extensively for the book, he was one of the keys on the 63 Bears defense. He was saying at that point when they won the NFL championship that year, it was time for Hallis to ride off into the sunset sure. and give the job to George Allen. But Hallis just refused to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, even after the 65 season, Hallis should, should have gone— you know, 64, 65, whatever. Yeah. He should have been gone by then, you know, put yeah. out to pasture. Uh, but he, he just refused to do it. He just wanted to hang on for a few more years. And what he did yeah. is, is he really sunk the franchise for almost the next two decades. They, they did hardly anything. They were mediocre to bad. I mean, really bad. Yeah. And it wasn't until Mike Ditka came, uh, he was hired, I believe, starting in the 82 season, uh, a job which which George Allen competed for at the time or or put his name in for him, didn't get. Uh, it wasn't until Ditka came yeah. at that point that they, they started elevating themselves and became competitive and again. Yeah. And, and it's uh, funny you bring up Ditka because I was reading that George Allen, that's part of what made him indispensable in Chicago was that he was also in the scouting department and he had a pretty strong hand in selecting Ditka among the three Hall of Famers that uh, that they would draft uh, in the '60s. Well, so. absolutely. That's that's an excellent point because that that is a point I definitely want to make here. Yeah, George Allen 
you could call him one of the greatest general managers in NFL history. Yeah. It wasn't only that Ditka drafting, which George Allen actually had a really big hand in that. Yeah. He had a big hand in all of those selections. Mm-hmm. But what Allen also did, and I quoted Ditka as saying this, that Allen, it was Allen's idea to make him the, the split end, the tight end, to move him off the offensive tackle and make him that tight end, a pass-receiving tight end, which is what that was Ditka's claim to fame. Mm-hmm. I mean, he became the first true you know, pure tight end in the NFL or one of the, you know, Mackie was there and uh, Jerry Smith for the Redskins was there at the time in the sixties. But, but I mean, Dick, uh, you know, uh, present day hall of famer, he, he was so great, but it was really Allen's idea. Allen went to house and said, we think he, we got to move him off, off the tackle and make him a tight end. But not only 61 with Ditka, 65 is arguably the greatest draft in NFL history. The bears had the three, four and eight picks in the first round. Number three, Gail Sayers, mm. number four, Dick Butkus. Hmm. Not bad. Both first round, initial first uh, ballot Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. Number eight, they drafted a guy named Steve DeLong, offensive tackle. Okay, He played one season in the NFL, but he decided to play for the San Diego Chargers in the AFL instead. Two-time Pro Bowler. Yeah, Okay, wow. I should also add that year uh, as a free agent, George Allen signed Brian Piccolo. Well, yeah, <laughs> leading rusher in the country that year out of Wake Forest. Yeah. So two things that I think that the part of the legend of George Allen that sometimes it's overblown, but I think it's spot on. One, his propensity for trading picks when he was with Washington, yes. down to the point where I think he traded at the same pick twice and was penalized by the NFL. <laughs> Is that accurate? And also the emphasis on special teams, kicking games and special teams were always important before, but. His emphasis of special teams in Washington was kind of revolutionary as well. Are we accurate in that? Is accurate. Actually, I, I will say though that it didn't just start with the Redskins. Right. I mean, he in L.A. he started making special teams special. I, I mean, the first I think play or incident that really showed that was Tony Guillory's block punt in a 1967 game against against the Green Bay Packers. I mean, the the Rams were all were all basically done that game. It was like a minute and a half left or whatever. Uh, Packers were up uh, three or four points, and uh, they basically had the game. They were punting. Tony Guillory blocked the punt. Rams recover it. They run down to the five-yard line. Next play, Roman Gabriel throws a touchdown pass to Bernie Casey, and, and the Rams won that game. But that was a block punt at an absolute critical time. And then in the ensuing years, yes, he hired Vermeil yeah. as one of the first special teams coaches in the NFL. Marv Levy, at the same time, was hired by the Eagles. Same year, 1969, he was hired by the Eagles. So they were both special teams coaches. And that's Bernie Casey, the actor, who exactly. was in Revenge of the Nerds, the fraternity <laughs> president of the Tri-Lambs, and he played of Felix Leiter in Never course. Say Never Again. <laughs> of course Dave Preston wow. knows that. And, and also Brian Song. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was uh, the the Bears defensive back. His name escapes me right now. Okay. In Brian Song, who was in that initial meeting, that uh, where Gail Sayers met with Hallis, and and um, and they influenced him to to room with Brian Piccolo at the time. But that was Bernie Casey, the actor. And also backing up uh, Dave's uh, point about the trades, uh, I saw this before we did this. Um, George Allen made 131 trades. In the NFL, he made 81 of those while he was the coach in Washington. 81? 81. Yeah. Right. 81 he trades. Had, yeah, well, that was... That's a lot of transactions. He had a propensity for trading when <laughs> yeah. he was with L.A., but it really, uh, he took it up a notch, several notches in D.C. And along those lines, I, I will say this. You know, I asked Bruce Allen, 
and, and uh, you know, we touched on this before about Allen's eye for young talent, for college talent. Why would he ha- have such a liking toward veterans in the NFL if he, you know, was so good at drafting rookies who later yeah. became great in the NFL? And I asked Bruce Allen that. He said it had to do with the with the pressure that that NFL coaches really were starting to be under at that time, mid sixties, late sixties, because that's when the AFL was put, had put a lot of pressure on the NFL as well to win. And, and financially as well. So the pressure was on. He, George Allen felt he had a better chance of winning sooner with older players, players who wouldn't make those mental mistakes on the field, and he he carried that through to the Redskins. And I think the over-the-hill gang, yes, he they brought in a lot of older guys like Jack Pardee, for instance, but Roy Jefferson was a fairly young guy. Dave Butts was a fairly young guy that they traded for as well. Right, well, yeah. well, Jefferson was one of Allen's initial acquisitions right. in, in Washington. He had already proved to be a great receiver with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was also on the Colts' uh, Super Bowl winning team, right. Super Bowl V. So he was already a great receiver. That was a great acquisition by Allen. I mean, uh, Roy Jefferson didn't like uh, Carol Rosenblum in Baltimore, <laughs> so he wanted out. Allen brought him here. So he had Roy Jefferson, Charlie Taylor. The acquisition of Butts in uh, 1975, that's really interesting at the time, you know, free agency, of course, wasn't what it, what it's like today. Right. But Allen maneuvered with the then St. Louis Cardinals to get butts. He paid him a lot of money. He also had to relinquish draft choices because at the time, it's I guess maybe it's a little similar to today, where you know the the cost of or free agent you have to relinquish a, a draft choice at some point, right? Yes. Right. Back then. Uh, Butts was worth like two number one draft choices and maybe a, a second as well. Allen gave up all those draft choices to get Dave Butts, who that was seventy five. Seventy five, yeah. 75, yeah. And he was worth it though. He wore burgundy gold for a long time. So influential, I would say. Well, he came along in the late seventies and then really made the impact yeah. when when Gibbs was here. Initially, in his first few years under Allen, he really, I mean, he wasn't much. Uh, he was overweight. First of all, Allen knew that. It took him a while to, to really come around in, in, in the defensive tackle position. And I think, you know, you talk about we're shifting gears to Washington. He leaves leaves the Rams, comes to D.C. A lot of fans, you know, they get to the Super Bowl first time, that, that New Year's Eve championship game against Dallas kind of puts Washington on the map. And then we talked about things that he made it okay to do, and he made it okay to hate Dallas. Yes. Down here, right? I mean, that's how that <laughs> he intensified the rivalry. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, just kind of when you're doing your research for that time, just how important was him in D.C. in that time in that '72 season to kind of put him over the hump and get to that Super Bowl? That '72 season was uh, it was an 11-3 year on the part of the Redskins. I think what happened was the chemistry. It, it all came together after '71. I mean, '71 showed that they could be a real. They could compete. They, they could, could be, compete. Yeah. They they. Just barely lost to the 49ers in, in the first round of the playoffs in 71. So, and he had a lot of those old veterans back in 72, and they still had they still had mileage in them. So he put it all together. And actually, one of the like maybe the absolute key to that team was Billy Kilmer because Sonny Jurgensen got gets hurt, hurt. Right? He got the Achilles tendon in the Giants game, like five six games into the year. Uh, so the Kilmer comes in, proves to be a you know pretty. He was a more than a serviceable quarterback. I'd say above average. Sure, he was yeah. no Taylor Heineke. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, he was kind of like the Taylor Heineke yeah. of that time, right? I mean, he wasn't as sexy a passer as Sonny was. Right. And, I mean, he just won with sheer moxie and leadership and all the things that we associate with Heineke. Well, his, his teammates loved his leadership qualities. I yeah. mean, he really had that fire when he was on the field. And uh, But uh, along those lines, I will say this. I mean, I think what 
why George Allen didn't rise to an elite level team when he coached the Redskins in the 70s, you know, he wasn't like the Steelers or the Cowboys or the Dolphins for that matter, is because he relied too much on Kilmer. Like if he had Roman Gabriel in his prime and Roman Gabriel was in his prime when Allen coached the Rams, those were Allen's best teams, fearsome foursome. Right. Yeah. If he had more of a, you know, a quarterback elite level or just climbing in that direction, I think they they would have gone much farther in the playoffs. He he had uh, Billy Kilmer and he had Joe Theismann who was in his early years at the time. Allen didn't really give him much of a chance to play. Allen Theismann actually wanted out at the time. I remember what was his relationship like with Sonny George? Uh, I think all the story about um, Allen alienating Jurgensen it was a little overblown in my opinion from where I what I came across in my research. I think that first of all Jurgensen had the injuries. Okay, that was those were major setbacks. Jurgensen was going to be the starter in 71. He was the bona fide starter when Allen became the head coach then. And uh, it so happened he had the injury in preseason. So Kilmer became the head, the uh, starting quarterback and, you know, just took it from there, basically. And Allen really came to to admire him. But um, uh, Jurgensen, and there was a little bit, Jurgensen didn't like the fact that Allen was too def- defensive oriented, first of all. And he was way too conservative on offense. Jurgensen didn't, didn't like that at all. And he has said over the years that Lombardi was the greatest coach I played for ever because he gave me the freedom to do what I wanted to do on the field. And Allen really didn't do that. So Jurgensen didn't like that about him. But I think if the injuries hadn't happened, then Jurgensen would have been there as a starter throughout, you know, maybe even past. Uh, he played for four years under Allen, maybe even beyond that. And I think along those lines, too, we, we had touched briefly on the 72 season. That was the first year without the Washington Senators. And there was no hockey. There was no basketball pro level in Washington. And that really helped seal Washington, D.C. as a football, as a Redskins town, as it were. If, if the team had gone 5-9 and nine the year that there was just the pro football, okay, they, they would have gained some exposure. But having the success they did double-digit win season after double-digit win season with a vacuum of nobody else. You know, the, the Senators were gone and the like. It really helped turn this area into, when I moved to the area 20 years ago, it was a Redskin town. It was a football town. Right. Hands down. Well, absolutely, Dave. I mean, well, actually in the 60s, that's when the Redskins started selling right. out games. I mean, they had a very, very exciting offense with, with Jurgensen and and Taylor and Smith and Bobby Mitchell. I mean, that that was just a really explosive offense. But and but they were mediocre record wise. But it wasn't until Allen came to town in '71 that right it became like a Burgundy and Gold City. And, and that's I, the thing; it was a vacuum too, right? I mean, because I mean, Washington won a couple of championships in the '40s, and then until the '70s, until George Allen arrived, it was a lot of nothing. Right. Well, they went they went a quarter century without any postseason play. Now, right. now, granted, there were many fewer teams in the playoffs mm, back sure. in those days. Okay, but but they didn't make the postseason for for a quarter century. And also one thing that uh, needs to be pointed out is there wasn't, we didn't have the media coverage back then either. So it wasn't magnified really how bad the team was, but they were bad under, I think it was Mike Nixon, like 60. Otto Graham was there for a couple of years. He was there later, but, but like 60 and 61, they were like really bad years, one twelve and one. And then last 12 games, they won nine and two. Otto Graham, they were, they were mediocre too. Then George Allen comes in 71, and they started winning. They made the playoffs for the first time since 1945, 9-4-1 uh, season in 71, and then they, he took them to the Super Bowl the following year. So they really became a perennial winning team. I wouldn't say they were a great team like I mentioned before, right, right. but they were, they were a winner year after year under Allen. And, and also he intensified that, 
that Redskins Cowboys rivalry. I mean, there was you'd have to compare it at the time to the Lakers Celtics, mm-hmm. uh, Red Sox Yankees in terms of the intensity of the rivalry. I mean, it was really up there, and Al, that was Allen's. Yeah. He did that. The book is George Allen: A Football Life. The author, Mike Richmond. Uh, I want two things. Um, one, what was the biggest surprise you learned researching this book, putting the book together? Was there anything that you know kind of took you off guard? It's like, oh wow, I didn't know that. Well, you're, you're exactly right, Dave. I, I did know a lot about him, and that that's actually what uh, what really stimulated me to to pursue this mm. project. I mean, I just wanted to learn about this this fascinating character, and you know what what made him great. Uh, offhand, there really isn't anything I can touch on that took me totally off guard. I, what I mentioned earlier about. Uh, you know the distinction between his his eye for young talent and then his his propensity to to go after those veteran players. Um, you know, I didn't know that that uh, he was so good at th- those those types of acquisitions for the for these younger guys. I mean, I I really dived into that. I, also, I would say that him competing with the AFL as the head talent scout, which they were known back in those days mm-hmm. as a head talent scout for the Bears, he competed against the AFL guys like um, uh, Klosterman. At the time, the Chiefs uh, GM, uh, the Raiders owner, uh, Al Davis, Davis. who was then a a GM, and they became the owner of the team. He had to compete against those guys, uh, four players, because the AFL AFL and NFL were battling at the time. So I guess that that was a very interesting period in the NFL and in in the whole, you know, uh, history of professional football. And the NFL really had to stay alert of what's going on because the AFL was climbing up there and they were paying guys, too. They paid uh, Joe Namath uh, $400,000 mm-hmm. in 1964. So that was a very interesting period, w- which I really enjoyed expounding on. Nobody's going to doubt uh, Joe Gibbs and his Hall of Fame worthiness, obviously, the, the best coach in franchise history. But could the case be made that Gibbs 1.0, his first tenure, doesn't have the success that it does without the foundation laid by George Allen, without the guys, a lot of the guys in place from Riggins to Theismann, a lot of other guys, you know, Dave Butts were already in Washington as opposed to the second time around where Joe Gibbs had to follow Steve Spurrier. (laughs) 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 You know, even though he fought, even though Gibbs won, followed Party. Yeah, it was only right. it was yeah. only a couple yeah, years a removed guys, like said, from the yeah. foundation. Reagan's Theismann, yeah. Mosley, yep. the yeah. MVP in the eighty-two season. MVP. Butts, Joe Lavender, uh, Murphy, Mark yep. Murphy. Mark Murphy. Had those. Okay, you can make that argument, and you can try and justify that. And the point I made in the book, I, I did touch on that. I said, while uh, Gibbs had those play, why he inherited those players, it was Gibbs' imagination and his. His genius mm-hmm. in coaching right. that really put them over the hump at the time. I mean, you can have, I think, all the great players you want, but you you need that coaching as well, particularly in the NFL. And and the comparison I'll make is when, when Allen inherited great players with the Los Angeles Rams in 1966, I mean, they were pathetic in the years prior. They had the fearsome foursome in the years prior. They had Roman Gabriel, and they were no better than, than 500. I mean, they— they were just a really bad team. So I, I just made that comparison in the book. You, while you, you, you can't credit Allen for the success in Gibbs years, you can't credit any of the pre-Allen coaches when, before he joined L.A. with his success while he was there. And he had yeah. some, some amazing seasons while he was in L.A. I mean, they went to the playoffs in both 67 and 69, and it was a lot different than, than today. I mean, back then, they rotated the home field in the, in the playoffs. So he had to play the Packers on the road, and he lost, and he had to play the Vikings on the road, and he lost. 
And it's cold up there in December, from what I understand. Yeah. Colder than L.A. It was a little balmy that day, though. Yeah. <laughs> Pettibone, Pettibone played for George Allen here, right? Hey, he played for, for George Allen in, in Chicago. He was oh, right. a great defensive back in Chicago. Yeah, he had he had some some really good seasons. I think in 63, he had like uh, six or seven interceptions that year. Okay. In that year, they won the championship. Then he played for Allen again in uh, in Los Angeles. Played for him for two years there. And then he played for him here in, uh, all in three, Washington. He played for and, all three spots. Okay. And what's fascinating, though, uh, if we could jump back to the, um, the coaching aspect of it, a lot of times we try to measure – greatness with championship success. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of coaches that have come through this league. Marty Schottenheimer, for me, the man won 200 games Mm -hmm. in the NFL. The first thing everybody wants to talk about is what his playoff record is. The way I look at it, he got to the playoffs 13 years out of 20. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like that track record. So George Allen didn't get the championship he was very close though to unseating the undefeated Miami Dolphins I mean that's a great story that almost didn't happen and George Allen's team you know was a touchdown away from stopping that right um but do you think maybe he's a little underrated in NFL annals I know he's in the Hall of Fame and we certainly revere him here but outside of Washington and maybe Los Angeles do you feel like maybe he's a little underrated? He has a 71 he won 71% of his games, man. And so the 2 and 7 playoff record like to me doesn't much matter because of what he did with teams and as you said, he didn't get the table set for him like some of these other great coaches have. Right. He is not in the same class as like Lombardi. Yeah. Or or uh, Landry for that matter. Right. You know, he's he's not in that same category. Right. But whether he's underrated or not, I well, he's certainly not known as well, like you said, you know, in among uh, pro football historians and others who have followed the game over the years. And so, but the fact that he's in the Hall of Fame, I mean, his legacy is set right now. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it can't be touched. I mean, yeah. Hall of Fame is, is the ultimate. So, you know, comparing him to Marty Schottenheimer, I would think that Marty Schottenheimer, I think he should get serious consideration as well. I think that— thousand percent. Right. Yes. He gets seriously yes. concerned for Hall of Fame. Whether he will eventually get in, I don't know. Yeah. But the I mean the reasons for Allen being in the in the Hall of Fame, I mean, he was a an amazing innovator. I mean, he changed the whole game around. He was a pioneer in the game in that respect. I don't want to say Marty Schottenheimer didn't introduce anything when he coached. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say coaches today don't introduce anything new. Yeah. But George Allen, like I mentioned earlier, you know, with those defenses, uh, the, the uh, nickel-dime packages and so forth, mm. also, he changed the whole game around with special teams. Like we spoke about before, They he would rely on special teams for two or three wins per season. Yeah, And that certainly showed in mm. Washington, too. They say you can't go home again. He tried to go home again. Uh, he had a, a brief tenure with the Los Angeles Rams after he left Washington. <laughs> Fired in training camp. Before the season, right? Yeah. yeah. Didn't, didn't, season. didn't even get to uh, the regular season. Uh, and then he never got That's another bizarre. bite at the apple in the NFL. That's correct. Why do you think he never – and and he was still – he wasn't 70 years old at the time. He was still a fairly young and vigorous you know, head coach. Why do you think he never got another opportunity to coach in the NFL? Well, I, quoting Bruce Allen again, uh, he was blackballed by the – Leaders of the NFL, P. Rozelle, obviously, you know, had the ear of all the owners in the NFL. So, and I would say pretty much too. I mean, why would you not want to hire, hire a coach like George Allen? Yeah. I, the, also, the game was changing a little bit too, and Allen wanted full control in terms of the general manager and coaching responsibilities. And at the time, the game was was evolving. 
they were more general managers that were being hired, pure general managers, case in point, Bobby Beathard. Right. Okay. So that whole system of where the head coach also had general manager, general manager responsibilities, that was all changing. Now today it may have gone, you know, full circle or whatever. I mean, Patriots, I guess, uh, Belichick seemingly, doesn't he have general manager or he has wicked in charge of a lot. (laughs) I would make the case that that, doesn't work. Well, look at it. Works because there's a lot Tom more, Brady. lot more folk, a lot more responsibilities right. to right. that right. the head coach has. Well, look right. at a lot more look pressure. Here in Ashburn. Well, yeah, and I mean, and <laughs> quite mm. frankly, Ron Rivera doesn't have the track record to have that much power. But I've always felt this way: the general manager role is very difficult. Doing player personnel for football very difficult. Coaching very difficult. There's a lot of hours that go into that. So in right. order. For one person to wear both hats, there's just not enough hours in the day to do it well. You're shorting one of those responsibilities by trying to do both. And I don't think any one man can do both roles well because, again, there's just not enough hours in the day. Right, right. That's a very good point. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's just so much responsibility that that a head coach has – and, then, today, you and know. then on top of that is two different jobs because the general manager's uh, general manager's job is to look ahead and make sure that this team is good for the next you right. know five years. Correct. Whereas the head coach's job is we need to win today and we're going to do whatever we can to do that. And I've said it. I mean, we've said it on this podcast a bunch of times. Ron Rivera, the general manager, has been shooting Ron Rivera, the coach, in the foot since he's been here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. So, you know, for George Allen to, I guess, to get – I know he had those roles and and uh, the teams were good uh, through that stretch, but you know I don't disagree with somebody trying to pivot off of that model because it's not sustainable, especially when he was spending sixteen hour days just coaching the team. Right. Well, with that being said, I, I'll make the point that when he went to the L.A. Rams in '78, he he didn't have the general manager responsibilities. Yeah, he yeah. just took the head coaching job uh, with the Rams, and I also uh, I, this was part of my narrative in the book. The the reason that they wanted to go to L.A. may have been fueled by the fact they had they already had a house in Palos Verdes Estates right. in, in Los Angeles. They wanted to go back there, okay? He was not fired by by the Redskins after the 77 season. I think that that is the wrong characterization of that, that whole sequence. Allen had a choice, had a chance to re-sign with, with the Redskins at that point. His contract okay. ha- had expired. So he could have re-signed because Edward Bennett Williams did offer him a contract extension like four or five years. He decided not to... To take it, and I think he was really he was inclined. They want he and his wife wanted to go back to Los Angeles, and he he did. It. I mean, he he didn't it's take the general choice. manager job. Just LA's think about how that nice. turns. You don't. He doesn't resign here. You bring in Jack Pardee for three years, which leads to Joe Gibbs. Right. That, I mean, I forget where was Pardee before. Was he on a staff? Well, he was, he was with, with the Bears. The Bears. The Bears. Yeah, Pardee was playoffs. one of his favorite players. Right. Right. Was, yeah. He was a disciple of Allen. Too. Right. He was right. But he came here. He wasn't on Allen's staff. In he was not. No, yeah. he okay. coached in the the old World Football League. Okay, and then I'm sorry. Yes, I think he was an assistant for one year under Allen. Okay, it may have been '73 because he retired after the '72 season. He was a, an assistant under Allen, I think, in '73. So, uh, but but and yeah, he coached the Bears. So, it's just, but Allen, I mean, he regretted that decision. I mean, he sure. said it in later years. I had a great job here in Washington. Right. I should have resigned. Of course, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm, he didn't know that Carol Rosenblum would be firing him after two exhibition games <laughs> in 78. But I mean, maybe you should have known that because he got fired like during the first Rams tenure. Right, he got fired after 68, yeah. after three years. 
coaching the Rams. He had a five-year contract. He got fired after three years coaching the Rams. And then what is really unprecedented, this has to be, he called for a press conference at one of the hotels in Los Angeles, and he had like 20 players show up at the press conference. And this was to make his case for want, wanting to continue coaching the Rams. And Merlin Olson, Deacon Jones, all those guys spoke up. And sure enough, Dan Reeves rehired him as a head coach of the Rams. <laughs> but it was pretty much he, – he may have been a lame duck coach at that point yeah. that, that Reeves was going to fire him anyway after the, after the 70 season, which would be after five years, unless Allen won the Super Bowl or something like that. Reeves yeah. just – they just hated each other. They were at each other's throats, Allen and Dan Reeves. But that bought him two more years, right? That bought him two more years. Yeah. He had a chance at that point after the 68 season to come to Washington. Yeah. Jack Hancock, who was the majority owner of the Redskins at the time, who resided in L.A. and owned the L.A. Lakers and L.A. Kings, yeah, mm-hmm. he was influencing him to take the Redskins job at that point. And hmm. this was after three years of Otto Graham. And I believe they had already fired him or something, and they were in, on the hunt for That's... the new coach, who ended up being Lombardi. At that point, but but Jack and Cook wanted George Allen. He was the hot name. Yeah, yeah. Mike, what? I'm I'm too young to remember, but uh, George Allen, after his uh, NFL coaching days, was uh, he was in the booth with Vin Scully and Jim Brown. Yeah. That right. that is a three man booth. <laughs> yeah, and with three like you had the ultimate wordsmith, and then two incredible personalities. I yes. mean, it's kind of like what we have here. I, I exactly would think right. so. Yeah. <laughs> what was that booth same. like? To uh, did, did uh, what, what was what, what was that trio like to watch? Well, I did touch on that considerably in the book. That whole that whole broadcasting mm. sequence, and uh, Alan was Alan. I mean, he was a preparation guy. Okay, he, he he had these you know stack of notes that he took into the booth for each game, and uh, you know he really enjoyed it. But he he got to go see all the teams practice, and he talked to the players and coaches, things like that. You know, pregame preparation. But he was the same way, you know, as a head coach, the preparation, the details, same way in the booth. He did the same exact thing. Now Jim Brown, on the other hand, and <laughs> Joe Band, who I know George knows, yeah. He told me this story. Joe Band was a statistician in one of the games, and uh, he told me that Jim Brown was so unprepared for one of the games, and he was m- trying to make a point, and he and Allen thought this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So they were about to go and and uh, th- throw punches at each other in the booth. Now that may have been exaggerated. Jim Brown probably would have <laughs> decapitated. I know him. who's going to win that one. <laughs> that wouldn't ended well. Wouldn't have been good for business. <laughs> but. Uh, but Joe Band told me that story. I mean, they were they were really and George Allen was really angry at yeah. him because he was so unprepared. Like, how can you come here unprepared? Right. <laughs> but uh, no, the other thing about that, while he did enjoy it and he he enjoyed still being part of the game, he also felt there was like a feeling of depression on his part. You know, seeing that, seeing other guys coach and and not having that opportunity. Those are in the early years following his his firing by the Rams in '78. So you know, he still had that. Uh, desire that itch, yeah. Yeah, the, that desire to coach. When you, I'm curious, you know, you, you talked to obviously a number of people for this, including Bruce Allen, and just when you're talking to these people, how were they, you know, just their reaction to being to talking about George Allen, whether it's former players or Bruce, just kind of how ex, I might excite is not the right word, but like how honored that you're reverence, yeah, that, oh, that yeah. how they were talking about their former coach or colleague or whatever. The, primarily the family, you mean? Yeah. Oh, they they wanted to uphold his his legacy as much as possible. I mean, they were very, very cooperative. Uh, George Felix Allen, the the oldest son, Mm -hmm. he was great. Uh, Bruce Allen, I had two major phone interviews with him, two hours long each time. Wow. Yeah, he was answering all my questions. I had them all laid out one by one, and uh, he was great. 
Yeah, and um, and Jennifer Allen, she was very good as well. Uh, Greg Allen, I I didn't really speak to him that much, but he wasn't part of it for the most part. But uh, but the other three were really good. Eddie Allen, Eddie Allen died in 2013, so I really didn't get a chance to to speak with her. But uh, she would have offered some some really valuable insight and you know in terms of how they met and then their relationship in the ensuing years. But but yeah, the family was great and. Um, George Felix Allen. I mean, he he was he was my main, main contact. Yeah, sure. Yeah, former senator and mm-hmm. Virginia governor. What about former players, especially here in D.C.? Uh, well, they were all. I mean, I, I can't think of anyone that didn't want to be interviewed. I mean, yeah. everybody was was basically receptive to it. And I had a lot of the interviews already with the Redskins players, just players here in D.C. from previous work, previous, my previous okay. works. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I had a lot of those interviews already. So, um, but then I, I interviewed guys with the Bears, Obradovich. I got Ditka. I got uh, Ronnie Bull, okay, great running back that. out of Texas, or uh, uh, Baylor, went to Baylor. And he was another uh, amazing Allen draft pick. He was rookie of the year in 1962. Hmm. And if, you know, he only rushed for like 400, 500 yards, but he was rookie of the year then. I mean, uh, you didn't have the expectations, I guess, at the time. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so uh, who else did I get from the Bears? I can't think of anyone else offhand. Uh, I mentioned Obradovich. I got a few of the players from the Rams. I got Roman Gabriel. He was receptive to it. I got um, Roosevelt Taylor, Rosie Taylor. Yeah, I'm sorry. He played for the Bears. He was in Allen acquisition in 1961. There's a very interesting story about him. Um, he played at Grambling, and Allen went to uh, Ernie Robinson at Grambling. It was one of Allen's road trips, his, his scouting road trips, and he was looking for Ernie Ladd. He wanted Ernie Ladd was was the you know the, the big talk at the time you know he was the player that everybody wanted so uh, Allen said to uh, uh, Eddie Robinson I'm sorry he said to Eddie Robinson do you have any fast guys here I'm looking for a fast guy too so Eddie Robinson said yeah we got Roosevelt, Rosie Taylor yeah defensive back so Allen led the signing of him as a free agent in 1961 and Rosie Taylor intercepted nine passes he was tied for the oh. league lead in 63 the year they won the NFL championship so, and also then Rosie, Roosevelt Taylor ended up playing for the Redskins later on. So I got him. Fascinating. Uh, I mentioned yeah. Gabriel with the, with the Rams. I got, um, oh, Deacon Jones' wife. Deacon Jones had already passed away. Yeah. I got uh, uh, Roosevelt Greer. I interviewed him. Okay. Oh, wow. He was really good. Yeah. That's uh, great. He originally had played for the Giants and then. Yeah. Uh, Movies too. Yeah, he was in Skyjacked. <laughs> right. He no. led the, um, <laughs> when the Fearsome Foursome really started becoming popular, like around 64, 65, and they started, they were appearing on the Ed Sullivan show and, and other, uh, other programs. Rosie Greer was doing the singing and the other three in the background. Uh, Since the- you've been gone. That was a good song. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. right. He was doing the singing. That's great. It's fascinating wow. how it's the, the all encompassing, you know, how much the impact he had. The book is George Allen, A Football Life. The author, uh, Mike Richmond, with the with, uh, the Burgundy and Gold in the 70s was a golden era. Same with the 80s and the like. But I think, uh, do you feel sort of a, it's morning again in America? Feel with the new ownership, Josh Harris in, Dan Snyder out. And uh, do, you, do you feel it's it's a beautiful new era that we can... I wouldn't well, call- we'll be talking about this in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make this For point. his next book. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I mean, you guys know very well, too, that it takes more than an ownership to win in the NFL. Sure. But that's part of the chemistry. But there's got you know, it's got to click on all ends. It's got to click right. with the head coach. It's got to click mm-hmm. with, the, with the front office, with the general manager, with the players. So it's more than just the ownership. I mean, Bob Kraft, Belichick, Brady. I mean, look what's happened with Brady gone and, and right. whatever. So there's a sense of relief, obviously, among a lot of people, uh, fans and 
with, with Snyder gone now and whether morning in America, I don't know yet. I mean, these guys are are certainly saying all the right things. They're they're even using the term Redskins again, which I think that in itself is refreshing. Mm-hmm. I would like to see them go back to to having the Redskins name. Uh, uh, you know, of course, everything has to be, you know, permission or they'd have to get the consent of Native American organizations. But uh, let's just see what let's just see what happens in a season or two or, or in the ensuing years before we say everything's going to change. Because if they have a losing season this year or maybe several in a row or two out of three losing seasons, I don't know. Let's just see what happens in the in the coming years. Roster cuts this week. They're down to the 53. What's your impressions of the team and Sam Howell in particular? I like Sam Howell. How could you not like him? I mean, uh, <laughs> he played well in the season-ending game against Dallas last year. I mean, he wasn't blowing anybody out, but he had a decent game, and you could see his potential. And then, I mean, of course, this year in the preseason, uh, had a really, really good game against the Ravens. Preseason, of course, uh, we all know, doesn't prove everything in the NFL. You've got to prove yourself in in the regular season. I just touch on this regarding Rivera. I just think that, I mean, I know George was probably in on this press conference when Rivera was asked the question last year, not knowing that he could be eliminated. That he could be eliminated. Yeah. Yeah, and now there. he's saying, <laughs> and now he's saying that. Oh, I didn't know how good Sam Howell is. Yeah. See, it, how it, can you? Ron, it, sometimes he talks too much. I mean, you just. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's your job with to this know. guy. It's how not, can he say something like that? He said yesterday, and he said yesterday he was asked about it, and he said it was. You know, it's more of like hindsight. You know, going back and but I, how, of course I'm not knowing. He's not taking any reps with the ones and this and that. But you can't say that as a guy that you drafted, thinking that he's going to be a quarterback for you. Well, first of all, if they thought he was going to be that good, they wouldn't have risked taking him in the fifth round. They would have taken him in the third round. They would have taken him in the fourth round, something like that. Right, you know what right. I'm saying? You can make like, that point, yes. And, and, and the thing is, everybody who's excited about Sam Howell, and I'm going to tease this because next week we're going to talk about our season predictions. I have a very interesting one for Washington this year. Sam Howell is a part of it. Uh, but Howell being good, you know, you talk about the – first round grade he had going into his last season in college. Some guys with first round grades who play another year, okay, you might ding your uh, draft stock a little bit and fall back to the second round or the third round. You never see those guys fall to the fifth. Right. Right. So I'm not saying it's going to like bear itself out that the guys, I mean, you can't be a bust if you were taken in the fifth round. I'm not saying the guy can't play, but this optimism that he's like the next Tom Brady or whatever. Oh, I don't think anybody's saying yeah. that. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I the only I don't thing know. I'll say might be the next Tim just, Brady. You're right. Well, he, he just needs to be yeah. good. They That's have it. been. Right. It's been a net negative the quarterback position here. They've got a good defense. They've offensively they got, got weapons. weapons. Yeah. I can't remember the last time they. I mean, you'd have to go back to uh, uh, the fun bunch. To, late, uh, I would say the team, the late '80s team that had what Ricky Sanders, Gary you. Clark, and uh, the Monk, the posse. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we posse. like to call that the posse, posse. around yeah. here. Okay? Yeah. okay. Well, you know who they had here? They had Brad Johnson here. Yep. I mean, he had a four thousand yard passing season in '99. Well, then, then the owner right. wanted him out. Yeah. Exactly. Well, he alienated him with Jeff George. Yeah. You remember yeah. that? I mean, oh, so course. they had a. Yeah. They had that quarterback. And then Marty cut no, Jeff I mean, George. Yeah, I just right. mean I just mean the weapons. <laughs> I know, like, I know, the, I know. The, right. the bounty of weapons that all fired he up has now. at the receiver. But I also say but, this. I mean, a really we all know a, a really good quarterback in the NFL. I mean, you could win several additional games because sure. I think the talent oh, yeah. level is so 
even mm. across the board. 100%. I, I mean, but if you yeah. have that quarterback who's head and shoulders above yeah. most of the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL, you're going to win a few extra games. And I think Howell, if he is what he's showing right now, and I think defenses are eventually going to catch up to yep, him, as sure. yep. always happens in the NFL, they're going to watch tape, they're going to they're figure him no out. game plan for him. But yeah. he's got to rise above that. If right. he could, He's going to win a few additional games probably for them because he does look like he has that potential. Absolutely. I agree. And here's the thing. He, he he doesn't have to be Mahomes. Like, you don't have to put it all on his shoulders. They're two, three deep at the running back position. They've got a lot of weapons. I mean, the offensive line is a question mark, but you can scheme around that. And Absolutely. If Eric Bieniemy even has half of what Andy Reid was putting down in Kansas City. Right. We're we're going to be in and look, I mean that's what we were talking about in the in the preseason is the play design and just yeah. the way the offense flows and the motion and all of this. Like just having that is going to make this a much right. more competitive football team. Well, they look on paper they look like they have really good talent at the wide receiver position. Right. They do, yeah. I mean, you want McLaurin to be healthy uh, for the regular season opener, but uh, you, don't, you don't want any lingering injury with that. But they they have really good talent that wide receiver position. Uh, running back, they look solid. Yeah, you know Robinson right. and um, and Gibson. I mean, they mm-hmm. they look solid I mean, at the uh, the playmaking positions on offense. I, I can't say how great the offensive line is, but yeah, I mean, and defensive line look looks like they have it there. We don't know. Chase Young is a major mystery. Who? What is happening with this guy? Look, he's a local kid, so I want so bad for him to be the guy that we think he is. And I think it would be a great story for him to have this big bounce back season and he's, you know, Washington commander for life and all that. But I don't see it. I mean, even when he had the rookie season and, and uh, he was defensive rookie of the year and, and, and did what he did, you know, he the, the sack totals weren't there. And not that that position is all sacks, but – you know, he made some impact plays, but he made some impact plays against some teams that didn't have really a quarterback. I mean, you yeah. remember the the touchdown he scored against the 49ers. They were down to their third quarterback right, right, in right. that game. So. He had about seven, seven sacks his rookie year, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I guess yeah. you'd expect maybe a little more out of the defensive I mean, end position. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's a pass rusher, and, you know, again, he's drafted that high. You want double-digit sacks out of a guy. And, again, right. sacks aren't the end-all, be-all. That's not the primary necessarily number for that position, but right. – you know, it's the fumble recoveries or fumble or forced fumbles or, you know, just right. plays yeah. that impact the game. But seeing them against not somebody's third string, but like go get Tom Brady and strip sack them. You know what I'm saying? Like right. that, like they needed him in that uh, playoff game to right. do something like that. And it just really hasn't come. So you'd love for it to happen this year. I guess we'll see how that plays. Yeah, or or the fact that after a game where the other team is like, "Oh my god, he was all over us." Yeah. Or if watching a game, you might not necessarily have the sacks, but you see the pressure, you see the headache that he causes yeah. for the other team that maybe draws some double teams that allows other guys to get their numbers too. Well, and I don't per- think I don't think we've I think we've seen Chase get his, yeah. but I don't think we've seen him cause such an effect on the line where other guys are able to get theirs right. thanks to him. Right. right, right. And with the second overall pick in the draft, again, if he's not getting sack totals right. and stuff, then he's drawing double teams so that Montez Sweat is getting the sacks or one of the two big tackles is getting the sacks. Right, right. You know, and uh, we haven't seen that from him yet. And yeah, again, I mean, you would you would expect a lot more out of him, but also this is a make or break year for him, at least in Washington. I mean, right. there's a reason they didn't re-sign him in the offseason or give him the, that, the that contract extension. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they're they just saying, you know, either you, you put up or 
you're going to be gone. I mean, which is really unfortunate. He's going to go down as like a major bust. If not, he'll be up there as one of yeah. the biggest busts in NFL history. And and, and what compounds it is that you could have had a couple of really good quarterbacks at that spot in that draft. I mean, the yeah. kind of big name that you hear all the time is uh, the kid Justin out Herbert. Los, yeah, Justin Herbert yeah. in Los Angeles. Like the twenty twenty draft. Yeah. yeah, I always yeah I always say with the caveat though is that okay you could have gotten one of these quarterbacks, but with the coaching staff, the brain trust that was here right. at the time, you could have gotten one of those quarterbacks and, and then ruined them. them. Like yeah. Patrick Ramsey, you know. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean that's the thing. I mean, look at Patrick Ramsey. Yeah. Kids. He's they looked at him, and everybody else Patrick. looked at him as that. Yeah, yeah, he's a game changer. Yeah. He's a transformational player. You know, right, Lawrence Taylor. He's going to change the game mm-hmm. for us on the defensive side, which would obviously impact the offense too. Set you know short fields, yeah. whatever. So that's the way they were looking at him, and it's been unfortunate thus far. He's really now he's got to get over the stinger that he he suffered yeah. in the. In the Browns game, I think game. that's the frustrating part. Is if he would have gotten a couple of strip sacks in the uh, preseason, yeah, I don't think people would be wringing their hands. But he's got a stinger. They've been keeping him out of. The, I mean, he's not. There's even no practicing. momentum for him at all. He's nope. not even practicing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're recording this Wednesday, but uh, as of Wednesday, yeah. he's he's not been cleared for contact. I don't feel good about any of that. I, I yeah. don't. I just don't. And then on top of that, look, you have he's a guy he, that needs to play. He needs to play. And and right. we've, and we've talked about this a little bit. They've already spent a lot of money for the defensive tackles. And so let's say Montez Sweat and Chase Young both ball out, get double-digit sacks and all yeah. this. Right. Who are you going to pay? I think they should keep – if they can, they should keep Montez Sweat. Yeah. I, I think they should, absolutely – I like I, him I a lot. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, plus, he he's would... got that ridiculous wingspan. I mean, I look at his right. arms. I mean, it's like watching Sam Perkins back in the day. He's about 6'6", you know six, six, first oh, of all. that's a good one. He's got yeah. the wingspan. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. He Now, he, he's a game-changing player. I mean, he yeah. can real at times, he can be a game-changing player. Yeah, like that tip in uh, pick six he had uh, in Dallas yeah, uh, yeah. in the Thanksgiving game. I mean, he's, he's right. shown that, and that's what you expect from Chase Young and hasn't come yet. Right, right. Most importantly, as we move forward, longtime historian of the team, you know how important the, 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 the fight song is after the Burgundy and goal get a touchdown. Do you think there's any chance that the comma, 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 comma commander song will see life? <laughs> Why does it live to begin with? I think it's a great. I think it's a great I don't, song. I don't want to say anything about a commander song or the commander's name in general. It just it it's really really bad overall. I mean, first the selection of the commanders is that the best you could come up with? I know he had to go vanilla. He probably had no other choice, but it should have kept so, at least the red in in Redskins and tried to maintain that. Native American theme in some capacity or evoke the the glory days from the past, the Red Hogs maybe, but and I even like Washington oh, football team. Not, you're not look, a, look, you're not all thing. in on Major Tutty? Oh jeez. No, Major <laughs> Tutty in that come, come a commander song. The the Washington football team has a Seinfeldian simplicity to it. I liked it. Right? Like I like I I like the Washington football you, team. You kept the uniforms for the most part. I don't like right. having numbers on helmets. I think that's weird. But you could have just left it bare. I mean the, the I mean the uh, Browns have never had a logo on their helmet. Right. Uh, so or at least not or just a W. Not just years. a W. Right. Or even just a W. There you go. Even if you change the helmet to that and then keep the uniforms you had. But they have this redesign that made Jim Zorn write about uh, maroon and black. <laughs> because if you look at the white, I mean, the white right. jerseys, the the like the burgundy is not burgundy. They right. have zero gold in it. I like the Washington football team. But there was the Washington football team. You kept the uniforms, and there was had, a uniqueness about the name. Yes, right. no Thank other you. major 
sports team in, yeah. among the four leagues yeah. has that type of name. I right. mean, there was a unique. It was almost about like it. soccer FC. And yeah. I don't buy this <laughs> thing that it wouldn't have been marketable. I think they would have sold jerseys. I mean, winning cures everything. Winning yeah, you exactly. win, you're going to sell jerseys, no matter what the team name. I is. I think yeah. I think Dan knew he was possibly heading out. I think, mm-hmm. and they spent two years to do this god awful, you know, whatever Reed Brand. And they didn't want to spend any money to do fight any uh, trademarks. Yeah. Now, so, this new group, though, I think, look, they wanted Warriors. I kind of know that. They wanted Warriors. But you can't do Warriors now. If you'd done Warriors 20 years ago before Golden State brand came on, yeah. So the reason Different. they didn't do yeah. Warriors now is it was trademarked, right? Or and and it's like you can't. And it's you like also right. the Warriors are Golden State. So, right. But I think the new group, I think, is would be willing to fight for something. They don't like this name. I mean, the name's going to go. Right. And fine. And, and whether Even it goes on, back to Washington football team or you go back to Red Wolves, they know the fans really wanted Red Wolves. Jason Wright said that. Like, that was the top thing that they Red wanted. Red Wolves. That was Fred Smoot's, Fred Smoot's name. Yeah, so they, they, they <laughs> ask for all this fan input, and then they come up with the commanders. Now, right. whether or not, And it's also a naval you, term, commanders, whereas Major Tutty is obviously Marine, Army, right. and Air Force, so they're, it's right. incongruent. Well, how do you guys read into the fact that they have used, the, the new owners have used the name Redskins in the context of... Granted, the glory days from the past, but they have said Redskins I, a few times. I, Does that mean that at some point they could be inclined to go back to the Redskins? The I don't think you can go back. No. You can't go back because they didn't just change it because, oh, Dan Snyder ruined it. They changed it because during the pandemic, after George Floyd, a lot of people were like, we have literally a captive audience to air our grievances about racial yeah. inequity and all of this. So – Sponsors fled, and that's why they changed the name. Correct. So you can't go back to the name if it was – and there was many – there was 30 years of protests even preceding that watershed moment. And whether we believe that the term is racist or outdated, the fact of the matter is it's problematic. And you can't go back to it because then you just go right back to people protesting outside your stadium or protesting. Right. Right. It does know, trigger you, controversy. There may, and the, the owners, you don't want to invite yeah. that back into your organization when everything is kumbaya and everybody's feeling good. Now, I'm not necessarily saying keep the commanders, but if you change it, you're going to have to change it to something that is unifying and not divisive. I like. I definitely like Red Wolves. I, I yeah because you could keep the well, HTTR. No, what does that have to do with Washington? Well, though? the command. There's yeah. no wolves here. If I see the wolves in Washington, red. I'm moving. It tomorrow. Maintains red. I mean, I think just keeping the red is is I a really think, exciting. I think fog. With the <laughs> owners, we get some George Washington. The owners, uh, uh, the owners are make the new guy. They're they're making it. They they have said it a lot, and Ron Rivera's touched on it too. It seems like they're making it okay to refer to them in the past, whereas the last couple of years, to your point, like with everything mm. going on, we were not doing that or it was not okay to do that i think that's all they're doing now and look they've made it clear they you know grew up here they rooted for the team they walked rfk all this so i and i think they know that you can't go back to that name but i do think that they're going to change it at some point regiments right. the washington regiments i'll throw no i mean I'll, I'll i mean i'll throw that in it's you know you you I've, keep the httr and regiments it works with the military area, and it's yeah. not commanders. Which I know I, Rivera's a big proponent yeah. of. Yeah. Rivera I, may I, not. Yeah, he might not be he's here. He's probably not going to be he here. He might not be here next hey, month if, my, if they if, lose to Arizona. If, I got hey. a question for all of you. Do you guys think that if the, the sale of the team wasn't hover, overing the franchise at the end of last season, that Rivera would have been fired? After the debacle 
with Wentz, starting Wentz over Heineke in that uh, next to last game against the Browns. Acquiring Wentz is a fireable yeah. offense. <laughs> that he was a bad to, idea from the beginning. Yeah. He, he, he wanted if, to if prove. If the sale wasn't there, like, the, right. you know, it's inevitable. Teams I think sold, there was the a chance. the cloud is there. I think there was a chance, yes. Because that is, he lost the locker room with that Carson Wentz thing. And that was all for him wanting to prove that. Remember, they stood up there. I'm the guy who watched the F and tapes. I'm the guy who did this. Remember when it went off about yeah. I'd have fired him after that. Right. Because if you're the guy who so, watched the F and tapes, and then this is what we're getting at this position, <laughs> what tapes were you watching? I mean, yeah. So, yes, I do think yeah. there would have been a chance if he did. Okay. And to be fair, I think, as we've mentioned, Ron Rivera, the GM, has undercut yep. Ron Rivera, yes. the head coach. Correct. Whether it was bringing Wentz in, whether it was bringing Wentz in and not addressing the offensive line because – the offensive line was the worst possible line for a guy like Wentz, who is mm-hmm. your five, your seven-step drops. And you, you, you. There's no way right. that he could do what he could do well behind that line last year. Right. The thing right. is, I don't think Rivera could spot a franchise quarterback if the guy wore a T-shirt saying, "I'm a franchise quarterback." <laughs> I mean, I'm. I'm like, they sell those? How, they how sell those? could be and could surprise a lot of people? He could surprise a lot of people, but and that's the thing is, and I've said this on here before. Ron Rivera acted like he needed to luck into a guy like Howell in a late round. He didn't want to spend assets to move up to the top of the draft and get a guy. He was willing to part with picks for, like, retread veterans. Like, I mean, I like Matthew Stafford, but I ain't giving up two ones for Matthew Stafford. Now, he's the type of quarterback, though, Matthew Stafford. He could win it. That's what we were talking about before. He could win a Super Bowl. He could. If you've got the right surrounding cast. This year's team? This year's Washington Commanders with what Matthew Stafford was when they won the Super Bowl with the Rams, he's a little more injured now. But you take 2021 Stafford and put him on 2023 Washington, yeah, that's a Super Bowl contender right there. I would agree with that. Right, right. But again, you're parting with first-round picks to get him. I don't know if he's worth that investment. Oh, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't because trade. that was all or nothing. I mean, the Rams are going to be bad this year. They got a and ring. They're on yeah. Our yeah, yeah, they got right. their rings, which yeah. is key. You <laughs> and know, out thank, of a bye, yeah. that would be, and that's another. That's the uh, week one against the Cardinals because they're clearly tanking, and then the Rams out of the bye late season in Los Angeles. Those are two games you can't afford to lose. Right. So I take Sean McVay back here. <laughs> yo, oh, we let, hey, can, that's a whole other. That's a whole so other many gr- coaches. That, that's not. But then again, that's on the would, table. That but, might be on the table. He might the, be looking to get out yeah. of LA at the end of this year. That's what I'm saying. Again, but back in the day when they're like, oh, this assistant went here, this assistant went there, it's like, okay, say they get the job in Washington, how soon before they get undermined by the front office and the owner? Yeah. So right. But again, the best thing like, that happened to Sean McVay was that, getting out of town. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right, right. The, but, and the floor, too. But you I might guess. get that freedom. You might get that freedom now. Yeah. Now, now, yeah, now yeah, you yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. We touched on the name. The, um, the team president, Jason Wright said right before we started uh, recording, actually, that uh, they're not going back to the old name. Right. Period. But also, if, if, you, if you've watched Hard Knocks, unwittingly the Jets kind of justified the commander's name. Have you heard this? I have not. Oh, right. yeah, I, I saw did, that, I, yeah. I did, I did yeah. this in my sports cast a couple of times just for fun. So um, I believe it was the third episode. The coach, Robert Sala, was outlining for the players the four levels of competitors. The top level of competitor is a commander. And then he outlines, basically, he's the same thing as a competitor, a guy who's like a blue chip player, and um, you know you don't have to motivate him. He's already motivated. Like, he's this great player who's motivated, not by money and all that other stuff, but just because he wants to compete. 
And then the commander is basically that guy, except he brings people with him. So it's like, I listened to that. I was like, well, he done made a better case for the commanders than any of the guys. <laughs> like all we got was uh, Doug Williams saying, we the commanders. <laughs> and then, you know, I just want to ask this. If for some reason, if if the, the Washington football team, the commanders, if they do sort of excel and, and, and they win, maybe if they win the NFCs, put it that way, can we at least not say that, the rest of the NFC East had a down year. I, I'm just as, I'm just as long as they don't they go combined so 18 and 30. I mean, <laughs> like as long when as they won yeah. the, when they won the division in 2020, 2020, 2020. everybody was saying, "Oh, that's because the rest of the division had a down well, year." I mean, the whole division, record. Hold on. the whole division the, the had a rec, down the year. They all had a losing record. Yeah, two six and tens yeah. and a four eleven and one. Yeah. So, all right, yeah. what's uh, it comes to sixteen? Let's not put it in the you know. Let's not say at least. That shouldn't be the reason yeah. that if the other three teams combine to win more than sixteen games, <laughs> yeah, there you go. we'll yeah. say, hey, it's not a down year. But yeah, that was. I ugh. actually, I actually think Washington can win the division with a non-losing record. I picked them. I picked them to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then, slow mo clap that on means that one. Do you think Jalen Hurts may not live up to the money? I, no, it's not. It's not Jalen Hurts. I think it's the surrounding cast around him. They're replacing their offensive coordinator, their defensive coordinator, the mm. interior of their line. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's different in Philly. And right. so I think that can sort of adversely affect the mojo. And then there's the Super Bowl hangover effect. You get that far. You're only three points away from a championship. Like, that has to sit with you some sort of way. Right, and for a lot of people, it kind of adversely affects how you perform that season. Even, so, even when you lose a Super Bowl, yeah, right. When you lose We're three a, points away, right, right, right. So yeah, I think there will be a little bit. I, they're still going to be good, but I think there's going to be enough of a hangover that in a very competitive division and very tough out of conference schedule because they're playing the AFC East this year. Right, mm -hmm. right. So that might be top to bottom one of the better, maybe the second best division in football. So right. you have four difficult games. You have six built into your schedule because you play in a tough division. And it's, we don't know what we're going to get from the Cowboys year after no. year with Dak Prescott. I mean, I think he's a good quarterback, but sometimes he just and Jerry Jones, he stinks it up. And Jerry Jones mm. just rolled a stick of dynamite into his locker room by <laughs> getting Trey Lance. I yeah. mean, what is he doing? Uh, yeah. What is he doing? But I hope he stays there for I hope he lives to be 100. And I hope he owns a team and continues to run it. Into Giants the could be up and coming. I mean, Daniel Jones is. A I mean, he seems to be a pretty good quarterback. As long as he doesn't trip little... over his own feet. Oh, <laughs> right. snap! Uh, yeah, I I don't buy the Giants. I don't buy the Giants. I thought that they way played over their heads last season, and I think there's a course correction coming for them. You think they were a one-time wonder? I think so. And I give the coach Brian Dable a lot of credit for what he was able to do. But I remember once upon a time, Matt Nagy looked pretty good for Chicago. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that right. didn't end well. So good I'm not point. saying it's going to go sideways quite like that, but they spent a lot of money for a mediocre quarterback. Their offensive line is better than it's been, but it's not all the way there. Right. And I like uh, I like the tight end uh, acquisition. Why can't I think of his name now? But – I mean, their receiving core is still as mediocre as ever. So, um, right. yeah, I think the Giants are poised for falling back. And um, 
I mean, I right. I had to work my numbers. I go game by game when I make <laughs> That's predictions. What I love about this guy. <laughs> when I make predictions, y'all think I just throw up a one loss record and just like pull it out of my behind. Right. He's like, looking at the details and the facts. He's kind of like George Allen, yeah, you know? That's right. Exactly. So it's like I'm looking at all of it, and I had to do my numbers twice because I was like, wait a minute, I have Washington winning. How is this? Right. But I'll lay out my case next week. Guys, this was a great episode. Mike Richmond, yo. Mike, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. I loved yeah. it. This was really great. This was Good great. Conversation. Um, the, Get the book. Yeah, the book. When did, uh, The George book is out what? already or no, the book is pending? The book is, uh, the official publication for the book is November 1st. All right. Okay. Uh, pre-orders. I'm taking pre-orders right now. And one can pre-order the book. These are uh, autograph signed copies oh. uh, through my website. Your Mike. autograph or ours or yours? Uh, you guys can <laughs> autograph it too if you want. <laughs> uh, what's the website? MikeRichmanJournalist.com. All right. And that's because that is Mike Richmond, who is, uh, <laughs> who's written the book, uh, George Allen, A Football Life, drops November 1st. I am Rob Woodfork, George Wallace, not George Allen, alongside Dave Preston, and we are going to break the huddle. Thanks for not participating again, George. Anytime. <laughs>